the fourteenth day for the holy souls, a day of prayer for the souls in purgatory who during their life were most devoted to the holy angels. The holy angels look with special interest on the souls in purgatory. Numbers of them are guardians to these souls and long for the moment when they will be permitted to conduct them to heaven. Many have clients there who fervently invoke them during life. Whole choirs are interested about others, either because they are finally to be aggregated to that choir or because in lifetime they had a special devotion to it. Again, St. Michael as Prince of Purgatory and Our Lady's Regent, in fulfillment of the dear office attributed to him by the Church in the Mass for the Dead, takes his homage to himself, all charity to the holy souls. And if it be true that a zealous heart is always a proof of a grateful one, that magnificent spirit will recompense us one day in his own princely style, and perhaps within the limits of that special jurisdiction. Memory brings back to our minds those who have left us. Through it, that is through memory, their features seem present to us. Our abodes are filled with their presence. We talk about their actions, their virtues, appear attractive. Their last words resound in our ears as the legacy of their hearts, as a pledge of their love. Everything reminds us of them, what they said, what they did. Be assured then that remembrance is no slight comfort. It renews, no doubt, our grief at their loss. For here below there is no joy without pain. Often one gives birth to the other. Nevertheless, remembrance is not without its charms. How consoling it is to think of those dearly loved ones. Providence has willed that memory should, in some way, fill up the place of those whom we have lost, and that death, which separates us from all and spares nothing, should at least yield to its power, which impresses on our heart the image of those we mourn. But of itself is this remembrance, however deep and strong, of any use, none whatever. In vain does it pierce our heart as a sharp arrow, or sink into our minds as a shaft which we carry away with us wherever we go. Does it avail those whom we mourn? No. Is there any means of rendering this remembrance efficacious and fruitful, and of communicating to it a sovereign power? Assuredly there is. Prayer. Prayer which is a remembrance animated by grace and transformed by faith. This your heart can offer to your parents, your relatives, your friends, all those whom you mourn. Remember me before God, was St. Monica's last request to her son Augustine. The same did your father or your mother, your wife or your sister, on their deathbed address to you. Remember me. These words imply remembrance before God as the only thing of benefit to them. On the wings of prayer it flies from the soul as a fiery dart and mounts straight up to the throne of mercy, where God receives it graciously and sends it back to the poor captive as a message of peace and pardon. O oh, you who seek in the memory of your parents and friends a relief for the suffering their absence causes, give then to your sorrow the merit and efficacy that it requires. Remember the departed before God in prayer. If our merciful Creator, to mitigate the horror of the tomb, has endowed man with the gift of memory. He has at the same time 
placed side by side with it another feeling to console and strengthen us, namely hope. Memory and hope still remain even when death has deprived us of those we love. What takes deep root in our souls? What survives and soars above all the pangs of affliction? Hope. Tossed about by the storms of life, man sees around him only the image of what he has lost, and amidst the dangers that encircle him, finds in hope his sole consolation. Were this to fail him, his misfortune would be boundless, his pain without relief. God did not allow death while separating us from our relations and friends to deprive us of those two things which alone can diminish our regrets, remembrance and hope. What hopes do we entertain for those dearly loved ones whose remembrance lives in us? That they may have unalloyed happiness, that nothing may keep them from it, that they may have eternal rest. Are not these thoughts sufficient to console and help us when death snatches them from our arms? May they rest in peace. Are the words which rise to our lips in the days of mourning. May God receive them, wipe away their tears, satiate them with his love. They have but passed from a life full of misery and pain to one of happiness. Hope, such is the supreme and last consolation which remains to us. Therefore, God in his infinite goodness never draws aside the veil of uncertainty which envelops the destiny of those we mourn, so that in our grief we may never despair of their future happiness. Whatever may have been the life of those who have preceded us in this valley of tears, however great or numerous their faults, we may always hope they are saved. Our hearts indeed feel the necessity of this firm hope. God, according to the words of Holy Scripture, in treating man with respect, did not wish this beautiful feeling to die out of his soul. Perhaps among our dear departed ones, there are some who have kept away from their religion or whom a sudden death is struck down in youth or in the decline of age. It matters not. Hope still lingers, still cherishes a kindly feeling that, in spite of all their faults and sins, divine mercy has forgiven and the cross of Jesus Christ saved them. But if God, together with the comfort of memory, leaves us that of hope, what springs from this hope? What nourishes it? What sustains and strengthens it? Again, I repeat, prayer. For if prayer is remembrance before God, it is equally divine hope. If prayer communicates to the remembrance which we preserve of our loved ones its efficacy and fruitfulness, it also gives the confidence of seeing them happy. When we have wept, and sent up to heaven the blood of Jesus Christ, that precious blood which redeems and purifies, when we have bestowed on those poor souls the fruit of our good works, the abundance of our alms, the merits of our penances, then shall we be allowed to hope that God will shorten their sufferings, will break the bonds of their captivity, and admit them to the abode of his glory. Then will a sweet confidence fill our thoughts, and the joys of hope overflow in our hearts. What a comfort to be able to say, this communion which I am going to offer for my deceased relations, this sacrifice, this act of virtue which I will perform, this temptation which I will overcome, will perhaps obtain for those I have loved so much an eternal rest, a happiness without end. Look with confidence on the cross of Jesus Christ, 
Behold the wounds of that adorable Savior, and remember that from them grace and pardon spring forth. From the height of his throne of mercy, he extends his arms to draw to his heart those for whom you weep. He is only waiting for you to ask him, Will you refuse this to those whom you have loved so much? Prayer is, therefore, the only consolation which remains for us, the only offering we can make to those souls who perhaps have loved us too much. But what power does not prayer possess? The prayer often repeated without growing weary. It obtains all, triumphs over all, because it draws from the merits of a God-man an irresistible strength and a sovereign grace. Pray then to him who with one word can deliver these suffering souls. Listen to their cries from their place of torment. O you whom we cherished during life, remember us before God. Remember those years passed happily together when we lived side by side, shared your joys and sorrows, often declared our love for one another. Will you forget us now that you no longer see us, now that we suffer and are unhappy? Ah, now is the time to prove your affection by a fervent prayer. God will bless your charity and will, in return for what you do for us, bestow upon you many graces and blessings. Surely you will not refuse our request. While interceding for us, you will work for yourselves. For a day will come when your neighbors and friends, weeping over your tomb, will say to God, Lord, give unto him eternal rest, and let perpetual light shine upon him. Requiem eternam dona ei domine, et lux perpetua lucia tei. Then the Lord will remember your charity toward the dead, will grant the prayer of your friends, and give to your soul refreshment, light, and peace. St. Bridget once had a vision of purgatory, and there beheld the souls of the just being cleansed from every stain of sin, as iron is purified in a fiery furnace. She tells us that she heard an angel calling down the blessing of God upon the charitable Christians who hastened to the rescue of the poor souls. For unless they are released by the good works of the faithful, God in his ineffable justice is resolved to purify them by the flames of purgatory. When the angel had spoken, there arose a most piteous moan from a great multitude of souls. They entreated the eternal judge to forget their many sins, to apply to them the merits of his sacred passion, and to admit them into his presence. They besought him most earnestly to inspire the faithful, but particularly priests and nuns, to offer up prayers, masses, alms, and indulgences in their behalf, because by doing this they would lessen and shorten their torments and enable them to enjoy the sooner the beatific vision of Jesus their love. Suddenly a mysterious light, the brilliancy of which was tempered by a certain dull hue, broke forth and hovered over the dark prison. It was the symbol of approaching deliverance, and the poor souls greeted it with acclamations of joy. But they did not forget their benefactors. On the contrary, they asked our blessed Redeemer to reward a hundredfold the charity of those who had prayed for them.